Welcome back to Endurance Icons, where we sit down with individuals who are excelling and inspiring in the world of endurance sports. We're your hosts, Jessica and Mark Cullen. Today, we have brought on Bob Miller, who we believe is an endurance icon. Why? Well, he's competed in over 30 international expedition races. He's designed or directed over 35 adventure races or multi-sport courses. He also is the event organizer of a race called Wilderness Traverse, and his team came second at Eco Challenge Fiji, which is a show that you can watch on Amazon Prime. Welcome, Bob. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on the show. Um, the first question that we're going to ask, because there's going to be a lot of people who've never even heard of adventure racing, what is it? Yeah, so it's kind of the, the ultimate team sport that kind of, I guess, endurance team sport that pits kind of like athletes against nature. Um, yeah, you're basically a team of, you know, three or four friends um, going out for up to 10 days on a wilderness race course nonstop. And you're trying to, you know, survive in these crazy wilderness environments um, where the event directors will send you. And yeah, it's just awesome. I mean, you go through so many emotions in the sport. Um, the highs and lows are, are off the charts. Um, but yeah, at, at its essence, it's team-based. So three or four teammates, you're mountain biking, trail running, orienteering. Usually there's paddling disciplines, could be whitewater, basically anything non-motorized goes. Um, and yeah, you have, you know, a time limit. Now there are entry-level races up to like three to maybe six hours, which still sounds like a long race, but those are kind of like the entry-level ones. And then uh, right up to the long, ex what are called expedition races, um, which could last anywhere from three to 10 days. Um, so, yeah. So how did you get started in something like this? <laughs> uh, so that the show that came out, um, Eco Challenge on Amazon Prime a couple of years ago, um, that show existed and it was quite popular back in the, like the late 90s, early 2000s. And a lot mm -hmm. of us um, started back then. Um, there was actually a very prolific race scene back then. There were like three or four race series in Ontario that were happening um, at the time. So I was like kind of everyone else. I saw the show back then. And then I kind of started looking around for like events to participate in. And luckily there were some, um, you know, great events happening at that time. Um, but prior to that, um, it was kind of funny timing. I was kind of just coming out of university and a friend and I thought it would be fun to try a marathon. I wasn't uh, into endurance sports um, back then. So we kind of were like, you know, let's try this just on a whim. And we, we ran a few marathons and then I kind of got hooked on endurance sports then. Um, so it would have been like my early twenties. Um, then I started with some triathlons. Um, but growing up, I participated in a lot of team sports, so like hockey, baseball, soccer, that kind of stuff. So once I saw adventure racing, um, I was like, this is perfect. You know, it's team, it's in the endurance sport I was just getting into, um, and also the outdoors. Um, I took outdoor ed in, in high school, um, had a great outdoor ed teacher, um, and that got me introduced to canoe tripping and things like that. So this was just combining all of that, the competition, the teamwork, the outdoors, um, into this amazing event. And yeah, after the first race, I was hooked. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. So what would you say is one of your first event memories of one of your first races that you did? <laughs> 
Yeah, I I know my first race. I still remember it quite well. It was it was funny. Um, I was helping at the Storm Adventure race this fall in Halliburton Forest, and that's actually where I participated in my very first adventure race back in it would have been like ninety eight or ninety nine. Um, with some of my high school friends and university friends, so Chris Ordanis and Leanne Mueller. Uh, we're on our team, and funny enough, we actually won our very first race. Of course, <laughs> you did. Total fluke. Well, I was that. I mean, I was like everyone else back then. I was reading like how to use a map and compass the night before the race and trying to figure it out. <laughs> um, but we did get beat. But the team ahead of us um, lost their passport. It was like all punch passports back then, and they got penalized. Mm-hmm. But they were miles ahead. There was a really kind of experienced team. I think they might have even had some eco challenge participants on the team but uh yeah i mean everyone was making wrong turns back then going all over the place so it was it was a blast i wanted to hop a little bit into that uh eco challenge amazon prime special because we just watched it a couple weeks ago and it was just like what an incredible but looked like such a grueling race so i wanted to ask you a couple questions on that one first of all obviously the team element is so important in adventure racing so you had kind of a bit of a unique team with two pro OCR racers and then uh, looked like a past teammate, Scott, as well. Um, how did you go about selecting your team for that? And how did you know they were the the right people that were going to be able to handle a massive event like that? Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a interesting process. So when they announced the event, Scott and I hadn't been expedition racing for years. Um, I don't think Scott had done a race in about eight years and I'd been like six years out of, you know, seriously participating in those events. So he and I kind of saw it was announced and we were like, you know, we wanted to try and get a team together for this. And Ryan and I, um, Atkins, uh, used to work together is how we really got to know each other on some obstacle course racing, uh, races called mud hero. Um, it was a big series in Canada for a while and friends of ours started it and we were kind of helping them run, run those events. So we got to know each other quite well. And this was before, and then right around the time he started doing really well in obstacle course racing. Um, but Ryan's a unique guy. I mean, he's into everything and, you know, out, outdoors based. So we always thought it would be fun to team up for an event. So luckily I was able to convince him to to join us. I mean, like you said, he's a professional athlete and he had to fit it in between his, um, you know, big races for obstacle course racing. And he still went and raced like, I think it was the Spartan North American champs or something like two weeks after the eco challenge race and still came like second, like literally a day or two after we finished he was out like spinning out his legs and just loosening up and we were just like you gotta be kidding me <laughs> this guy's yeah he's a beast totally he's he's a good follow on strava there he you're like wow he's done some amazing stuff yeah so that's how we got ryan and then uh the female was tricky we were kind of searching we had tried uh training with one girl and it didn't work out and then ryan had suggested Rhea from obstacle course racing and we did a training weekend with her, um, and yeah, she was kind of um, raw in the sense that she didn't have a lot of experience with the sports. Um, like, she just started mountain biking that year, surprisingly, um, but you could tell she had kind of the, the grit and determination and mindset. She just wanted to learn everything, soak it up, and she was kind of up for anything, so we kind of took a, a big risk um, having her on the team. And honestly, we kind of struck lightning in the race. Um, I mean, I've been doing these races for a long time, and I know um, getting a result like that isn't easy to come by. And 
yeah, it was, it was pretty cool to experience, um, th that new team and still to be that su successful. Um, but one thing, uh, so Ryan's like the ultimate pro as, as far as I'm concerned when it comes to endurance sports. And he actually set up uh, a conference call with his sports psychologist in the days leading up to the race. And it really helped align our team before the event, um, getting our goals. We kind of shared what our we thought our weaknesses were, and we talked about strengths. And it kind of really set us up um, to be prepared mentally. And as you can imagine, when you're racing for so many days, the mental side is definitely the most important. Bob, so what does uh, training look like for a multi-day event like this? Like, obviously, two of your teammates were coming from OCR, so they're probably doing more OCR-specific racing, and that clearly applied very well to this race. But like yourself and Scott, who are uh, more pure adventure racers, what would kind of training look like for you guys? Yeah, lots of lots of volume. Um, but, I mean, I still, I kind of, was a self-taught as far as endurance training and just read lots of books and whatnot. But basically we're following that kind of classic pyramid um, model with like just building a giant base um, and then starting to kind of tweak it for more, you know, high intensity stuff. But um, the unique stuff with adventure racing comes with like your technical skills um it's kind of where it diverges from like a triathlon training program you know we would swap paddling in for swimming um with doing all the you know the biking and the running um but then yeah we're we're trying to obtain all these other skills um so you know whether it's whitewater paddling or um like on foot we'll do a ton of like technical running um, like very technical running where we might just run up like a dry riverbed, like something that's very rocky or like go to a shoreline and kind of scramble across the rocks to kind of build your kind of awareness of how to move across that terrain quickly. And that actually paid off huge in, in eco challenge because we had a couple sections up and down riverbeds um, and the super slippery section where those cold pools were was like crazy. So um, so stuff like that. And then obviously the orienteering side is super important, um, learning to navigate. So teams that haven't had that training or that background. So, um, I'm kind of lucky that I organize events and I get some practice in for, for orienteering in that regard. So, um, yeah, there's kind of all those additional skill sets that you bring to an endurance kind of base. Um, but yeah, like a typical week might be anywhere from like 15 to like 30 hours, depending on, on what we're doing. And yeah, it's, for me, I was trying to get, you know, three bikes in, three runs in and two or three paddling sessions in as far as like the core endurance stuff. Um, but then, yeah, adding in the other skill sessions. Um, also ropes is a part of it. So you're learning to ascend. The rappelling's pretty easy, but you still need to, to learn the skills so you can do it efficiently in the race. Um, so yeah, it's crazy. There's just like so many, so many unique skills I've learned through the sport, which is, is kind of what brings a lot of us back. And when you're moving for so many days in a row like that, I think nutrition would obviously play a huge part in that too. Did you have like a very dialed, like nutrition strategy for the day, or is it more just like constantly be eating because you're probably <laughs> behind on calories for many days at a time? Yeah, the, definitely the the goal is just tons of calories and you're not as concerned with the quality um, when you're racing for that many days. Now, 
Um, that being said, we were taking multivitamins um, and kind of one of the unique things, it's maybe not that unique that I, I've always done to make sure I get enough calories um, are these like weight gain drinks that we'll have a couple times a day to get like tons of amino acids, tons of um, calories. And usually we'll drink those if we're going to go down for a sleep or anything like that. So we'll, we'll have a, a big calorie boost to try and beef those up. Um, yeah. I mean, we're trying to consume eight, 10,000 calories anyways in a 24 hour period. And that's actually a, a big part of it, having a stomach that can manage that. Um, but you know, other sports that are going for long durations understand that as well. Um, but the calories are probably more liquid and more gel based. Um, and we'll, we'll eat those too, but there's a lot of junk food that we eat too. Um, you know, candy bars, chips, pretzels, like all sorts of random things. Baby food's a funny one that people find amusing because it's easy on your stomach. If you have a funky stomach, um, we'll eat like powdered baby food and things like that. So all sorts of bizarre things. Um, another big aspect I know of adventure racing is you run into like sleep deprivation issues. So was that a big aspect of this eco challenge race? Um, and how did you guys kind of manage that. I know there was some, it looked like some forced kind of sleep sections there as well, but did you have some like really tough moments in the race where you guys battled that? Yeah. Um, they didn't cover this, uh, for our team uh, in the show. Um, but the last night was horrific for our team from a sleep deprivation standpoint. Um, had we managed our sleep better, or if we were able to take more sleep, kind of what would have been the fifth night of the race. Um, it would have set us up to finish a lot stronger. Um, we had a paddle, the last paddle, um, when apparently we, we got close to the New Zealand team, we didn't even know that they had had those issues with their, their outrigger canoe. And, you know, we were kind of just trying to survive and stay ahead of the third place team. Um, but we had made some errors on the fifth night, some navigation errors. We couldn't find a trail that kind of led over this ridge and we got bashing around in the bush for like four hours. We lost, um, just messing around. And some of that time we would have spent sleeping on that was the fifth night of the race. Um, so we basically just hunkered down for like a half hour nap once we, once we got back on trail and kind of figured out where we were going. And then we got up that morning, it was probably the fifth morning of the race. Um, and we kind of just started hauling because we thought we'd lost a bunch of placements. Um, and that got us into the last camp um, where we were surprised to find we were still in second place, which was awesome. And then you're right, we had to stay at each camp for I think an hour and a half. Um, so we were kind of spent our hour and a half there and left and the other, the other team hadn't come in yet. But we also knew at that point we'd lost because we'd seen the New Zealand team earlier that night. Um, and then by the time we got there, I think we were like four hours behind. Um, so anyways, we, we got out onto what was the last section of the race. That's when we got our maps and we kind of realized there was about 18 hours left. And we knew we weren't going to be able to sleep um, that last night because the finish line was there. So we were to kind of have to like push through. So when we started that last outrigger canoe leg, it was probably 10 o'clock at night. And we were just dying to stay awake. We were trying everything. We had like coffee drinks and caffeine pills and 
singing songs and doing trivia, but I, I think I must have fallen asleep hundreds of times paddling and almost falling into the water. And then you kind of shock yourself awake. It's it's like the worst feeling <laughs> in racing because um, you're stressed trying to get the race done and, you know, teams are around you, but you just can't hold it together because you're so tired. Um but yeah, so that paddle normally might have taken us only like six hours, but because of the sleep deprivation, we were like nine hours um, to do that paddle, which was uh, just brutal um, for us to get through that. But um, yeah, as far as the race as a whole goes, um, yeah, they had those mandatory stops. I think they might have been three hours. I can't remember. It was 90 minutes or three hours, but no, sorry, you actually had to take uh, four blocks of three hours. This is in addition to the stops at the camps. Um, but over a six day race, you're going to take that amount of sleep anyways. Um, usually the way the races work with sleep strategy is teams will push through the first night without sleep. Um, and then they'll start taking anywhere from two to four hours of sleep for the remainder of the race. Um, but that will only get you to like maybe five days. And then I find once you tip over five days, if you haven't banked more sleep earlier on, you're really going to pay, um, and that's kind of what happened to us in this race. But we did actually bank a lot of sleep early because they had some dark zones with the the issue with the canyon flooding and teams getting stuck there. And then we actually hit the start of the whitewater um, rafting leg early where it was a dark zone where they don't they don't let you do um, certain disciplines in the dark. So they'll implement something called the dark zone. So we hit that at like midnight or one in the morning. So we got a big chunk of sleep. So on like the second and third nights, we had, you know, big, more sleep than we normally would take. And then we were just kind of like piecing it together for the rest of the race. But um, yeah, that's kind of how the sleep deprivation goes. It sounds kind of crazy um, and not not a lot of sleep, especially when you're moving for that amount of time. But um, yeah, when you're in the race and kind of the competition is there and you're performing the activities it kind of helps keep you awake um in going through it but I'll, I'll still remember the first few times we tried doing this in training and it's it's not a fun feeling until you get used to it um and we definitely don't train for sleep deprivation anymore <laughs> i would say if a team is new to it they should try it before an event if they're going to be going through the night um but yeah no getting sleep is super important in your training as you guys know I was going to ask if you did any training or if you've done any training for the sleep deprivation. I know that you balance, you know, two young boys, a family. Um, how do you how do you balance all of the training that you do, plus you know uh, the sleep deprivation, preparing for a race, juggling, you know, being a race director? Do you have any secrets to that? <laughs> I don't anymore. <laughs> I actually have so we had Hank when I was training for this event um our oldest son um and then yeah it was it was very challenging trying to juggle everything and I, I was actually incredibly stressed from a uh work life balance standpoint and trying to get prepared for this event um this was 2019 when the event actually took place and it was actually took place right after my busy event organizing season. So I was like maxed out at that point. And I was like, never again, <laughs> I could have tried and do that. Um, but yeah, it was, it's kind of been unfortunate that the pandemic hit and all the races stopped right when the, um, the show came out. Um, our team has talked about getting together to try and race again, but 
scheduling is is a challenge um, for me now that we have two sons, um, and I know what it would take to to put in the training. So I actually haven't raced since like at a serious level since um, that event, and I can see it happening again maybe in next couple years um, as our boys get a bit older. But uh, my hats are off to all the the mums and dads that find the time to do this much training and manage the kids and, and do everything. It's, it's, it's really hard. Yeah. Especially with upwards to 30 hours a week and it's very technical. And if you're running up riverbeds, you need to be finding those driving to where it's specifically found. It's, it's just a lot of logistics. Um, one question that I had, you talked a little about talking to a sports psychologist. I would say that there's an incredible element. And what I love about adventure racing that's so different than a lot of endurance sports is that it's so focused on the team. But I'd love to hear a little bit more. It doesn't need to be this race, but how you have worked through the psychology of team in racing and maybe some highs and some lows that you've experienced throughout your career when it comes to sort of the team psychology within these races. Yeah, I mean, it's like one of the most important aspects of of the sport is finding teammates and people you want to spend time in stressful situations with. Um, and sometimes you don't know until you're in the race environment um, if the team's going to work. Um, so, I mean, there are definitely some things we can do ahead of time. I talked about um, talk, talking to the sports psychologist earlier before um, the Eco Challenge event. Um, but really, this starts well well ahead of that um, in getting a feel for each other's um, kind of personalities and, and how you're going to react. But uh, a big saying kind of in the sport is that there's no ego. Um, this is really hard for a lot of people is to let go of their ego. Um especially in a race, if you're the one that's suffering and maybe holding the team back, it's hard to speak up and ask for help. Um, we, we struggle with that. Everyone struggles with that in their daily lives. You know, when you need help, you got to ask for it. And it really comes through in, in this setting. Um, so having no ego. Um, and I mean, from a, an endurance racing standpoint, you, you, you can probably understand um, if you're starting to suffer and you don't say anything and then you let it go further and further, you're just kind of digging yourself further into a hole and it's going to take longer to get yourself back kind of to a, a level that um, a level that you can kind of contribute to the team again. So uh, we kind of have some rules around that on our teams where basically if someone offers you help, so your teammates are going to notice if you're struggling as well. But if someone offers you help, you're not allowed to say no. Um, you have to either like give up your pack or take a tow line or, or something like that. So um, that's a that's a great rule and it, it'll help alleviate a lot of um, arguments on race courses. And because usually when people are struggling, you know, they're a little bit uh, not with it mentally um, and understanding that they're actually slowing the team down. So um, that's a big one. Um, staying positive is, is huge. Um, just having a positive outlook, um, especially when things are going wrong. Um, if someone starts to become negative on a, on a team, they can kind of bring the whole team down. Um, and that's like the death knell of like any team is the negativity once it seeps in and, you know, then they start, blaming the event director or the course or, you know, this is stupid. And then their race is over. Whereas you have a team that's, you know, maybe back of the pack, but they're getting along well, they're having fun. They have a positive outlook. They'll go on to finish the race for sure. Whereas those negative teams, they'll, 
drop out at the next transition area. And, and we see that um, at Wilderness Traverse and a lot of the races. So that positive outlook is um, incredibly important. Um, so as far as like highs and lows of teams <laughs> I've raced with, no one likes to talk about the lows <laughs> with teammates. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had some crazy teammate experiences where, you know, it comes back to the mental side where, you know, they weren't mentally prepared to, to handle the race we were attempting and it just the, the team basically blows up on the course and you end up dropping out. Um, but yeah, then things like Eco Challenge, Fiji happen and you have a new team, you know, an underdog team and we all come together and it works really well. Um, and that's just like, uh, that's kind of what you're seeking in this sport is a team that works that well together and then achieves a result like that. So yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Were you expecting to finish where you did? Yeah, you did an absolute, like, it was just such a tremendous result. Uh, I mean, as a, it's funny, Ryan's so positive and he's, he's such a pro and he expects to win all the time. So I'm sure Ryan thought we were going to win, <laughs> <laughs> but like my experience is so deep in these races and I know like the percentages like i think in all my races i probably only finish like 75 percent of them and then like goes down further if you're looking at podium finishes or other things so i mean i was going into it with eyes wide open um i kind of thought maybe like a 10 percent chance of getting on the podium if everything went well it was just such a risk with a new team um but yeah it's kind of where my head was at going into the race um but yeah we got we hadn't we just everything worked. It was, it was really cool. And I know in teams that you all have rules and I love your rules that you put in place ahead of time, but that there's a lead navigator. There might be someone who's a pack mule and carrying a lot of the, the extra weight. Um, what were the roles for the team and what is traditionally your role in racing? Yeah, this is actually, you touched on something that's very important. They did a study on at a, like a university based study at an old race called primal quest um that was big in the u.s uh, for a little bit and it was on team teamwork and team roles and things like that um and they actually found through this study the teams that knew what their roles were and then who the backup for those rules or sorry those roles were kind of going into the race ended up faring much better than the teams that didn't have this determined um before the race so yeah, the, the typical roles are you're going to have your navigator. Um, like you said, you're going to have your pack horse or your workhorse. Um, you're going to have like your mama bear, someone who's kind of watching out for the team, making sure everyone's healthy. Um, and then you're going to have like your motivator, someone who's making sure that, you know, you're moving at a, a decent clip. Those are kind of the, the, the main roles. Uh, but it breaks down even further. Like say you have a bike mechanical or any type of, you know, gear malfunction you know kind of who's going to jump in and fix that problem uh right away kind of thing so the rules are all predetermined before the race for sure they, they should be um and then we know kind of who's gonna back that person up so my role on on the team i've always been the navigator so i'm kind of just focused on keeping the team going in the right direction um and that's basically what i'm responsible for um and then in this race scott was my backup for navigating um obviously ryan was our our workhorse um and i'd say scott was probably managing um the mama bear role um where he was kind of making sure everyone was was doing okay but also 
a unique thing at Eco Challenge, we had a support crew, um, and that was Wayne Leak, and he was also performing that role, making sure we were all looked after when we came into the camps. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the rules and how they played out in that event and kind of how they they jive for adventure racing. So when you put all of these together and all your different roles and sort of the highs and lows, what would you say is your most memorable or uh, like a specific moment that you're most proud of in all of your adventure racing? <laughs> That's a funny one. I mean, that the Eco Challenge result was was quite memorable. That's probably one of the best results I've also had. Um, so that was pretty cool. But um, the other memorable things uh, in expedition races are the races that don't go well um, and the things that you learn from those really tough races. And I can remember numerous situations where, you know, we've been struggling in, in races. There was the World Champs in Spain was an example. Um it was just like a brutal race for me from a navigation standpoint. We just seemed to make wrong turns all over the place. And I couldn't make reason for why it was happening. Um, but my team stuck by me and we ended up finishing not great. I think we were like 15th or somewhere around there. But getting through a race like that um, feels almost as good as doing really well at a race. Um, we had another race, the World Championships in Tasmania, where um, I was racing with Jack Van Dorp was on the team. And on about the third day, he was really starting to struggle with a tight IT band and just really severe pain down the side of his leg and in his knee. And we basically had decided on multiple occasions to drop out of the race. And it just happened that we were in remote location. We had to stop and sleep. <laughs> we would get up and we'd kind of convince him or not really convince him. He was kind of willing to go. He was like, okay, I can try another leg kind of thing. And this went on for like three more days and finishing that race again, it was like, you know, 12th, 13th, 14th, but getting across the finish line after enduring like some serious hardship and watching someone suffer, like you've never seen someone suffer before, mm -hmm. um, leave just as indelible, uh, memories as, as the good results. So yeah, it's, it's a crazy sport. <laughs> you have to be willing to, to fail. <laughs> Failure is a part of it. Um, and learning from your mistakes. Um, that's, that's huge with expedition racing. And that's, again, I, I was lucky when I started out, there was a lot of races around Ontario and I failed so many times, but when you fail and you learn from the mistakes, the, the lessons sink in so much better, um, than if everything goes well. Right. So. Absolutely. It is a memorable sport. And I know that, you know, uh, adventure racers i i once saw a blog post of places adventure racers sleep um because when you need to sleep you're tired enough that you can drop anywhere so i'd like to ask you what is one of the strangest things you've eaten during a race and what is one of the strangest places that you've slept during a race oh my gosh you're right on the the sleeping front like any gravel road ditch whatever <laughs> is fair game um yeah, you, depending on the location of the race, like you're looking for some some cover at least from the elements. So countless little huts or like shacks or sheds that we would have found just in the middle of nowhere um, for sleeping. Uh, in the race in BC, we found like a little cave on the side of a mountain that had like a rock overhang. That was a kind of a fun place to sleep because it was really miserable. It was like sleeting outside and we actually found somewhere dry, which was a miracle <laughs> in that race. So yeah, <laughs> anywhere it goes for as far as sleeping goes. Um, and as far as eating, that's a tricky one. Um, 
it's so tempting to eat some of the local food in, in some of the races, but it'll also bite you in the butt if you're not careful. Um, so like Fiji was a good example. Um, some of the neat food we had there, they had um, their local potato. I forget what it was called, but um, you would, you know, be handed these things at um, going through the villages and that was fair game. So it was kind of fun to eat um, that kind of carbohydrate just to change up the diet. Um, but yeah, really it's, it's risky if you're going to eat too much, um, exotic variety. So <laughs> we try and steer clear of that stuff. Powdered baby food only. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the, one of the, I want to switch gears a little bit, um, and talk about your race. Um, so you have competed all around the world at these, uh, you know, world like level competitions. So you're an incredible athlete, but it's so incredible to see how you give back to the sport um, and start, you know, building up the skill set for the people in our area. So I'd love to hear about Wilderness Traverse and the work that you're doing there and some of the plans that you have for it going forward. Yeah. Um, that's you, you hit it on the head. That's the goal with wilderness traverse. Um, and I'm actually taking over Sean Roper was like a great event director, um, for like 20 years in Ontario with his storm, the Trent adventure race, but he's unfortunately hanging up, uh, the shoes on that event. So I'm going to take that one over, which is a more entry level, uh, event next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was lucky when I came to the sport, there were, you know, like three or four series happening. You could race every weekend almost. Um, and we've lost that. Um, and I understand the reason it's, it's a lot of work. It's incredibly hard to put these things together. Um, but again, I, it would be a huge loss not to have the, the community, um, something that I've, you know, enjoyed for so many years. So that's, that's the goal now is to give back. And that's kind of what I'm looking forward to is kind of like uh, bringing up the next generation of racers and seeing some of these new teams that have come to the sport through the, the Amazon show, and then maybe seeing them tackle an expedition race. Um, it's super cool. Um, we've seen it with some teams that have been racing for years um, that have come up, but now these new teams I'm, I'm really keen to see. So yeah, and, and that's that's the goal. It's to provide um, an experience in Ontario. Now Ontario has like amazing adventure racing terrain. Um, the lakes and, and the wilderness, uh, the backcountry that we have is, is second to none as far as adventure racing goes. And I really credit the terrain in Ontario with my ability to learn to navigate um, because we're usually working with um, kind of outdated um, small scale maps, you know, one to 50,000 maps uh, is the standard here. And there's not a lot of detail um, on the maps. There's more kind of things in the terrain that you're going to run into. So, and then the elevation isn't, isn't huge. There's hills out there. There's a lot of small hills, but nothing big. So if you can learn to navigate, I almost liken navigating in Ontario forest to like navigating in the fog. Um, you can't really see much out of the forest all the time. So you're following compass bearings. You're really paying attention to the subtle um, differences in the relief and the hills around you and trying to figure out where you are on the map. Um, but I really do credit learning to navigate here with, um, you know, that transferring over into race, racing on the world level where, you know, I'll go to 
almost anywhere, any environment in the world. And I find um, the navigation is not as hard as it is around here. So not be, that's not saying that we try and make the navigation super hard around here. It's actually kind of the opposite. We want the teams to, to finish the race and to have that experience. Um, but there's definitely some little tricks you need to learn um, to get through the courses. So, um, but yeah, uh, with the course design and, and the events, we're just trying to create a fun experience for a team to have over over a weekend and have them, you know, thinking about that uh, for the rest of the year. And then hopefully for some, they're going to use those skills and then progress to the next level and do a longer race. So um, obviously you have some big plans for your races coming up uh, next year that you'll be directing. Um, do you have some specific goals and plans for yourself athletically? Will you be returning to some racing coming up or uh, what does your 2023 kind of goals and plans look like? <laughs> I actually, uh, right now I don't have any plans for racing. Our team was discussing um, the world champs looks like it's going to be amazing next year in South Africa. Um, there's some really experienced event directors going to be hosting. Um, and they have, it looks like it's going to be probably the largest field ever in expedition adventure racing. Um, so it's pretty tempting. My problem is it comes right on the end of my event directing season and I, I can't put myself through that uh stress again so um i don't have any plans for any big races um we keep ourselves busy with a lot of local challenges we're gonna probably go and run the the lacloche trail the, the loop around Killarney provincial park um it's like a classic um really hard endurance run it's it's 80 kilometers which you know it's not terrible from uh, an ultra distance perspective but it's like one of the most technical trails you'll find anywhere in the world. It's just relentless. So I often tell people if they can kind of hike around that trail in 24 hours or less, they're more than capable of finishing Wilderness Traverse or some of these uh, other events. So that's kind of like a, a spring classic thing that we like to train for, my wife and I um, and some other friends. Uh, but really just adventures like that are kind of what I have on tap. So no big racing plans yet. Um, I think one, maybe once our kids get a bit older and we're in a bit better place as far as time management goes, um, I might look at doing more international racing again. Amazing. So we have a couple questions we like to uh, kind of finish off with to ask all of our guests. So um, first one kind of comes up. This is called the Endurance Icons podcast. So obviously um, these guests have got to a very high level in their sport, and that takes some um, serious skills and characteristics to be able to get to that level. So if uh, if we were to ask you, what is Bob Miller's secret weapon? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a lot. Um, I think it's the mental side. Um, just for whatever reason, I've never like the giving up part of me just won't, won't do it. Um, and you know, the, this sports made me realize that's, um, a, a secret weapon that I have. I never really maybe realized it when I was younger playing hockey or other sports, but I was always that like dogged determined kid. I wasn't the biggest kid, but I didn't care. You know, I, go and try and hammer it out but um yeah it was it was perfect for this sport so that mental side of never giving up and just always wanting to to grind and and get it done um is probably the, the secret weapon for for adventure racing for sure and if you had any advice uh for a new athlete someone who's been considering adventure racing and you know looking up your races and with you know storm the trent getting added to your roster what's what's your advice to either brand new or aspiring adventure racers? 
Yeah, I mean, you just got to jump in. Um, that's the key right there is, you know, sign up for one of the challenges and then kind of all the cards will fall into place after you sign up because <laughs> then, then you got to kind of make it happen. Um, but yeah, and, and you've got to just get some experience. Um, there's a lot of, there's actually books written on, on this now. There's a lot of material you can find online for how to train and prepare um, for the events. Um, but yeah, you just got to jump in. And if, if you're still hesitant, uh, come out and volunteer. Um, we're always looking for volunteers and that'll give you a better idea of what's involved. The sport can seem intimidating for sure, but, uh, I think once you attend one of the races, uh, it really will open your eyes and you'll see that it's, you know, just normal, normal people out having fun on the weekend, um, and enjoying the outdoors. I love it. Um, who is your endurance icon, Bob? Uh, <laughs> um, it's probably the early, like the people that I've looked up to most are like the early expedition racers, um, kind of when I was coming into the sport and they were winning the events. So like Eco Internet was a big team back then for North America with like Ian Adamson, John Howard, Robert Nagel, those kind of guys, Robin Benincasa. That was, it was cool watching them um, succeed and, you know, doing what I thought were these superhuman things. Um, so those early racers, Mike Closer is also, uh, someone I looked up to. He's, um, uh, he actually was at Eco Challenge Fiji as well, still racing in his, in his fifties. Um, but just like his drive and determination to win races. Um, when I was competing against him, I would see it on the course and I was just like, yeah, this guy, you know, that drive is there. If we could emulate that, um, it'd be awesome. So that's, those are probably the, the people I most looked up to. Well, it's incredible that your endurance icons sort of mimic the same superpower that you have, which is that just not giving up. And I think, you know, in adventure racing, if there's any skill set you need to have, it's going to get very, very, very tough. Um, so it, it's not a surprise that you've had the success that you have, but Thank you so much for joining us today. This was so great to learn a little bit more about adventure racing and all the great things that you've been up to. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Of course. Um, and if anyone's listening, wants to learn a little bit more about adventure racing or we've piqued your interest, um, definitely check up um, the Amazon Prime. World's Toughest Race. Watch World's <laughs> Toughest Race um, and check out Bob Miller's races. Um, they're held in Ontario. Um, I know I've personally done the Wilderness Traverse. It was one of my very first races that was, you know, a 24-hour race. And it was, I, I would say it's been one of my absolute favorites. And it's just such a great team sport. You have so many um, traditions around that with, you um, uh, you know, the beaver trophy and it's, <laughs> uh, it's just such a fun, um, incredible race that'll stretch you. So, um, check it out. And, uh, if you have any questions, submit them and we'll, we'll connect you to Bob, but thanks so much. And we'll, uh, we'll be back next week. Wow. How great was that? I always learned so much from these endurance icons. If you enjoyed the podcast as well, please consider liking us across social media, subscribing to us on YouTube, or giving us a five-star rating on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you and your support so much. We wish you happy training, and we'll see you back next week.